Okay, it looks like we're live here. And we're just going to wait a little bit to get started. We want to make sure that we have people have enough time to enter the webinar. Okay, we have people joining here. And it is 12. Okay, we have quite a few people already here. So maybe, maybe what we can do is we can get started here. Okay, let's let's actually get started. Okay, well, hello and welcome to Crossing the 49th, a cross-border tax and financial planning podcast. I'm your host, Phil Hogan, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Elizabeth Long. Uh, Elizabeth is a leading immigration lawyer in Canada and a partner of Long Mangazi. Um, today, she's going to present, so she's um, done a presentation for us, and she's going to go through um, some ways to um, come to Canada to work or study, avenues for obtaining permanent residency, tips on sponsoring your spouse, um, and what to do if your application is denied. So I thought maybe a good idea, Elizabeth, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here, Phil. Maybe a good place to start, if, if you could just give the audience just kind of an overview of your kind of journey into immigration law, I think that would be, be a nice thing to hear. Sure. Uh, so I came to Canada when I was five years old uh, as a temporary visitor, actually. Uh, I was supposed to come in here for only a few weeks to visit my father, who was an international student in Vancouver at SFU. Uh, and you know, it ends up, I stayed a few decades afterwards. And uh, now I help how many, many people come to Canada as well. Oh, great stuff. Great mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so I think what we're going to do today, um, Elizabeth's going to go through the presentation. And I think it'll be a good idea, you know, as we kind of try to make this as interactive as we can. Uh, big thanks to everybody that sent in questions. We, we, we got a lot of questions, won't be able to get to all the questions today. Um, Elizabeth has those questions. She'll, she'll try to kind of pepper them through the presentation. Um, but we also have the Q&A feature here. So as Elizabeth's getting through the material, please feel free to add some questions and we'll kind of pick through them. And if there's something there that we, we really feel kind of fits in, we'll, we'll answer them. Um, and once again, I'll compile these questions for later if um, um, we don't get to all of them for sure. Um, so... And I'm just going to check here. Okay, yeah. And if anybody uh, finds that there's an issue with the um, the audio or the video, please uh, just put a little note there in the in the chat. And I'm just going to make sure that everything's working properly here before we get started. Looks okay. Now, can somebody just um, just so we can test this? Can somebody just put a, a quick little note in the Q&A or the chat just to make sure that this is working properly? Is there somebody there that can just throw something in there for me? Just want to make sure that it's actually working here. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yep, we're getting a lot of... Oh, that's perfect. Okay, good stuff. Okay, so um, without further ado, maybe we can get onto the presentation if that works for you, Elizabeth. Sounds good. Perfect, perfect. Well, yeah. Well, really happy to be here, everyone. Um, so, uh, Phil, are you seeing the right screen right now? That yes, that's perfect. Yep, that's okay. perfect. Excellent. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about some 
uh, Canadian immigration solutions for you guys coming from across the border. Um, and I wanted to start with talking about, um, uh, first of all, the different kinds of immigration status that you can get, have in Canada. We start off with temporary residents. So you can come in here as a visitor, you know, as Americans, you can come across the border without any visas or even ETAs as well. You can, you know, come into Canada, but you can't stay forever. The default when you come into Canada, if you don't have, you know, anything other than a stamp, or even if you don't have stamps, sometimes they don't even stamp, uh, is six months as a visitor. Um, but you can also stay longer if you have a visitor record where the officer allows you to stay longer, or sometimes the officer may not want you to stay that, that long and they'll have a certain note on your passport uh, to say that you can only stay for a certain amount of time. Um, you can come as a temporary worker or a international student as well. And we will uh, speak about these options because these options as to come to Canada first as a worker or as a student can be very important on your journey to becoming uh, the holy grail in Canada right now is the permanent residence. That's the most difficult uh, uh, status to get. Um, and once you have permanent residence, um, to keep your permanent residence, you stay in Canada two out of five years. That's the normal rule um, to keep your permanent residence. Uh, there are two exceptions to the rule. If you are, uh, if you have a spouse, a Canadian or uh, who is outside of Canada and you're accompanying your spouse. So it's, um, we're, we're going to talk about spouses, but that's if someone you're married to or you're common law with and you're accompanying them, that time is counted towards residency in Canada. Um, and then if you are working for a Canadian company and that company sends you outside of Canada, um, that time that you're working for the Canadian company is also counted towards residency in Canada for the purposes of maintaining your permanent residence. As a permanent resident, you can basically do uh, almost anything that a Canadian can do. You can work anywhere, study anywhere, go anywhere, and you're allowed to stay in Canada. Um, your social insurance number will be the same as a Canadian uh, citizen. Uh, but as a Canadian citizen, you will get your passport, your Canadian passport. You don't fear losing your status, um, even if you didn't reside in Canada, and you can vote as well. Okay. Can I just ask a question about, um, so the student visa, is, is there an age restriction on student visas, like a maximum age restriction, or, or does that matter at all? There isn't any uh, age restrictions um, for for study permits. Mm -hmm. um, for study permits, we, you know, you have to show that you it makes sense for you to study. So let's say you are a mature student, haven't studied for a while, the officer may wonder, why is it that you are applying right now to go to school? And you have to explain that. But if you oh, have an adequate um, explanation, then the officer uh, is still well and able to issue you a, stu a study permit. Oh, great. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. So I uh, just wanted to have a quick note about citizenship. Uh, so you can get citizenship three ways. 
by birth, you're born on Canadian soil. You're naturalized. You've gone through the immigration system, obtained your permanent residence, and applied for your citizenship. Or from your parents who were born or naturalized. So we no longer allow uh, citizenship to be passed throughout the generations without, for example, if your grandparent was born or naturalized in Canada, you no longer can get citizenship through your grandparent if, you're, if your parent was not born or naturalized in Canada. So it's just one generation that it can be passed down. Okay. Um, do, you, uh, do we have any questions about this one? Um, not this one, no. And I, I'm not sure if you want to go through and see if there's anything that's popping up from the Q&As. Okay, I think we had some questions from before, uh, okay. where they Perfect. had uh, sent some questions there. Um, I believe um, someone had said, uh, what the process and time and length of time for minor kids to become citizens. So it, it doesn't matter if they're minor or not. Um, it's all around the same process. If you want, if you are already a citizen, but you need to be recognized, you need to um, have that Canadian citizenship certificate because you're not born in Canada, maybe it's passed down to you, um, then you'll have to apply. Before, you know, it was a few months processing time. Now it can be a lot longer uh, to apply. The, the processing times are posted online. I think the last time I checked, it was well over a year to get your citizenship certificate. Um, but, um, you know, the processing times change all of the time. Uh, you know, the fastest way to do it is to apply. And, sure. you know, there's not a lot you can do to to speed something up unless there's an emergency. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, just submit the application. Is there a way to know like uh, how many are actually in the queue at a particular time? Uh, not necessarily for for this kind of application some of the other yeah. applications there are but not for this sure. one oh, okay um but uh you know you can apply for recognition of the citizenship anytime so you can do it inside canada outside canada uh it's it's really you know it it's um a recognition you're not applying for citizenship it's just to recognize that it's citizenship. Now, oh. if it is that you are, you're, you know, you're, you're not a citizen or your kids don't qualify to be a citizen per se, then they would have to apply through permanent residence and be naturalized. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk about spousal sponsorships. Now, um, in Canada, we have a certain kind of relationship that we recognize to be equal to a married uh, relationship. But I think that's a little bit different from the States. When I go to the States, uh, before I was married, I was common law with my partner, and I would say, uh, you know, we're together as a family because we're common law. And the officer in the States would say, we don't recognize common law. Um, in Canada, uh, we recognize common law as, under the immigration law, people who have resided together in a conjugal relationship for at least one year, okay? And so that's very important in both sides of the coin. 
the first one is you can sponsor each other that you are together as a family. But also, if you are in a common law relationship, um, and it doesn't matter, you know, how serious you think your relationship is, you have to state that you are in a common law relationship on your application forms when it asks you for your married, uh, your, your marital status. Okay. Um, and so um, it's the other uh, situation when we're looking at spousal sponsorship is whether or not the sponsor, the Canadian or permanent resident who's sponsoring the person is residing in Canada. Uh, if you're a permanent resident, you have to reside in Canada in order to sponsor your spouse. If you're not a permanent resident, you're a citizen, it is possible to submit the application to sponsor your spouse, even if you're not living in Canada. However, you have to provide evidence that you will be returning to Canada as soon as your spouse gets permanent residence. So the third question is, what do you do when you're waiting for permanent residence? Um, you know, um, in if you were, you know, a lot of times people, you're, you want to move up to Canada right away. The spousal sponsorship can take around a year to process. So what do you do in the meantime, right? Um, if you are applying from inside the country, you can apply to for a work permit while waiting for your permanent residence. Now, because of the backlogs, that work permit may take four to six months to come. Uh, if you're applying from outside of the country, um, so there's two parts, inside and outside, you don't get a work permit, but it's also a little bit, sometimes it's a little bit faster. Sometimes uh, you can travel back and forth and there are also appeal rights as well. Um, so it, it it is a question oftentimes that we have to decide with our clients whether or not to apply inside or outside of Canada and what to do in the meantime. Sometimes even if you, um, you're you applying for the spousal sponsorship, you may be able to get a work permit through an economic category. For example, uh, one of the free trade agreements that we'll be talking about as well. Um, and so that's something, it's part of the entire plan as to what to do while you're waiting for your permanent residence as well. So I've talked about the inland versus overseas. There, there's a big difference into which category um, we're applying under as well. Okay. Any questions? Um, yeah, yeah, just going going back to that last slide because you know most most of the clients that we're seeing um, coming in, you know, to Victoria and Canada are often. Um, you might have individuals have gone down there from Canada 20, 25 years ago, and they're returning. Um, and you know, one of the individuals is um, both the U.S. and Canadian citizen, and they're sponsoring their spouse. And they mm -hmm. often know, you know, well well ahead of time that they're going to be retiring back to the island or, or to Canada. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if they, you know, if these couples know this, like how um, how early should they be planning for this? Like if they knew within, you know, five to 10 years are going to be retiring back to Canada and they need to do the spousal sponsorship, like how, uh, how early yeah. would you get ready for that? So uh, that's a really good question. A lot of it has to do with, you know, residency in Canada. So normally we want to start applying when we know that you're going to be the sponsor 
the, the Canadian or permanent residents is going to be back in Canada in around a year's time. Oh, I see. Because, okay. Okay. Uh, well, well, if it's a permanent resident, we can't even do the sponsorship unless they're in Canada. If it's a Canadian citizen, we could apply, but um, they have to show that they're they're going to be in Canada uh, as soon as we get the permanent residence. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, someone had asked as well previously if age is a factor for spousal uh, visas. Uh, no, age is not a not a factor. Also, it's not a requirement for someone to uh, be working in Canada in order to sponsor as well, or be earning a certain income in order to sponsor as well. Uh, you have to show that you are not on social assistance other than for disability reasons, and that you, um, when you are sponsoring someone, you are responsible for them for three years after they get permanent residence. And they can, that person that you are sponsoring cannot be on social assistance for three years as a, as a spouse as well. So you have to show that there is a way for you guys to support yourself financially. Okay. Um, okay. And someone has said that um, uh, their husband is, is disabled and the, the husband is blind. And um, the husband is a Canadian. Uh, can he sponsor? Uh, yes, he can. As long, like I said, as long as it, it's not about, um, uh, even if he is not earning money, he can sponsor. If he's um, on social assistance because of disability, you're still eligible to sponsor as well. As long as you can show that your family can support yourselves in Canada. Okay. Any other questions, Bill, at this point? Um, not about that. No, unless there's something that popped up in the Q&A that you think is relevant, but um, nope, oh, no. Uh, I haven't been monitoring the Q&A. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll okay. kind of go through it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, uh, just wanted to quick note about the in Canada versus overseas. So we have two different uh, routes for spousal sponsorship. When we're going the overseas route, um, you have to do it if your sponsor is Canadian and your sponsor from outside of Canada, okay? Inland, you can only sponsor when both people are inside Canada, okay? So if you're a Canadian, you wanna sponsor your spouse, you have to show that you intend to return back to Canada. Uh, why is my slide? So, um, and we talked about if they're uh, PR, you have to live in Canada. The processing time is around one year. Sometimes we see a faster processing time in overseas uh, processing compared to in Canada processing. Uh, there's also uh, a lot of travel. Um, when you're sponsored inside Canada, you're supposed to be residing inside Canada. Let's say you wanna sponsor, but uh, you wanna come to Canada, but you don't wanna leave your job yet um, in the States until you get permanent residence, you can stay in Canada. In those cases, the overseas sponsorship is better because, you know, inland, you're in Canada, you're supposed to be residing in Canada. Okay. When you're looking at in Canada, you have, if you're legally in Canada, you will get a work permit while you're waiting in Canada. You can still sponsor even if you're not 
uh, the sponsor a person even if they're not legally in Canada, but uh, they won't be eligible for the work permit while they're waiting. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to and, go. And so, so, yeah, sorry to cut you off. So maybe what we can do, and you know, some mm -hmm. of these I'm not sure how how deep you can get into, but I'm just going to try to pick out those that might seem. Um, relevant here. Um, I mean, one question is, um, I'm uh, I'm a citizen. Do I apply for my children before uh, I arrive uh, for PR or citizenship? So I guess that would be somebody that is already a Canadian um, yes. and wanting to apply for their, their kids. Yes. So you, you, you can apply for your children. I, I don't know if your children, when they were born, if you were already a citizen, if it's that case, you don't need to sponsor them. They are already citizens. They just need to be recognized as citizens. We, you'll need to apply for the citizenship certificate at that time. Oh, okay, great. And maybe and I'm, I'm not familiar with this one. Somebody was just asking a question about a C11 visa. I'm not sure if that's even relevant. To well, the, we'll, we'll talk about those. That That's an entrepreneur oh, work permit. Oh, yeah. Great. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about economic programs for permanent residents. So if you're not lucky enough to be married to a Canadian, uh, what can you do? Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, different programs. There are federal programs such as express entry. Okay. Uh, you know, last, a lot of you may have already heard about express entry. Express entry is points-based system. And we'll be talking about this, but um, you know, this is mostly for, you know, people who have uh, skilled work professionals. Um, and it's gone through a lot of changes, and it will go through a lot of changes as well. By the way, you know, um, what we have here uh, is what is true today. But immigration changes all the time. For example, uh, just yesterday, we had a huge change in the occupation codes um, in the system. And next year, there is it's anticipated that there will be big changes coming for express entry as well. Um, so we, if you know, you want to sign up to our newsletter, that's the only way that we are able to update people uh, on how to, um, uh, how uh, on the new changes to immigration as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, so last year with Express Entry, what happened was the government filled up their spots too fast. They, they filled up everything for 2022 in October of 2021. So there was a pause on Express Entry. And as a result, Express Entry, what they do is they look at your points and they skim the cream, essentially is what they, they call it. So they take the top um, you know, thousands of people who have the top scores and they keep doing that every two weeks. Now, usually they're supposed to do it every two weeks, but they pause it for around uh, nine months. And as a result, that cream got very, very thick. And so the points you'll see have become very, very high where the points are slowly dropping as they are now doing regular draws as well. Um, but, um, you know, we'll, We'll talk about that in a, in a bit as well. Um, there are strategies uh, that you have to think about for express entry. So um, sorry, so does that yeah. mean that it just got really competitive at that point? Yes, it got absolutely, oh, okay. absolutely. Like express entry, uh, this, since COVID started, has become extremely, it was all, it's always been com competitive, but oh, since okay. COVID started, it's been extremely 
uh, competitive, especially for those who are outside of the country, who do not have the work experience inside the country. Okay. Oh, interesting. So, so just like let's say from 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 my perspective, because um, you know mm-hmm. uh, we, we've hired quite a few, you know, accounting staff on on PRs and whatnot. So these codes mm-hmm. that would be, um, I guess, are they just based on supply and demand for the um, the industries within Canada that the government kind of deems to be in demand? Is that how that works? So right now, uh, Express Entry is is is. Uh, based on high skilled work experience. Okay. Uh, but um, next year, uh, it's been uh, talked about by the government that they want to go more occupation based. So to see which occupation uh, is needed in the industry. Oh, interesting. Okay. What is the way that they they may go? We'll see how we'll see. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, I mean, just looking from the, I mean, my wife works in the hospital industry and just that. So is that the idea? So if you like, instead of skill-based, you knew you needed nurses or you needed ultrasound technologists, you would just do it like that? That's right. They they may have draws, for example, just want people in healthcare industry or they want people in the occupations and demand industry. I I mean, it sounds great to me, though. I'm not that supportive of it because I think a lot of it has to do with lobbying by industries as to what is needed, who is needed. And I I also think that um, a lot of industry, a lot of jobs are so nuanced that you don't know that they're even out there, but they are very needed by people who actually need them to work. So I, you know, um, so it, it, there is, there is uh, good and bad points in, in terms of this, Uh, the government has um, stated that, uh, well, it's in the legislation that they need to have consultations with stakeholders. Uh, I actually testified before parliament on this particular point because it was um, something that I, like I, I raised my concerns about the lobbying and and these uh, and so now they actually have to have consultations with stakeholders before they put in uh, these these provisions, but um, it's coming. Oh, okay. So, okay. Well, when when you speak to them next, let them know that we need more accountants in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I mean, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm you know it it could be that people who already have jobs in Canada they may be also selected. Sure. We don't know. That's the problem with immigration. It doesn't go through parliament anymore. It's just ministerial instructions. And mm-hmm. so very little debate and they just make changes like that. Okay. Um, the second program that, you know, we can talk about is startup visas. Startup visas are, um, they're, they're a really interesting um, area of immigration law. Um, basically founders of uh, innovative companies who come to Canada, can it can be up to five founders together can uh, start businesses if they are um, they receive a letter of support from incubators or angel investor groups or venture capital groups that are designated by the government then you can apply for permanent residence as well so that's a interesting one for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs um, and then we have. Uh, uh, different programs like the the ARNIP, Rural Northern Immigration Pilot, and Atlantic Immigration Programs. These are uh, government. Is, uh, these are um, programs that the government has said that they want to attract people to areas where uh, there may not be a lot of people, and they need people to go there. For example, the ARNIP has a lot of uh, smaller uh, communities up north. Um, in Northern Ontario, 
um, some in Alberta and BC, uh, that if you get community support and you have a job offer in those communities, then you may be able to immigrate. Atlantic immigration programs, similar in the Atlantic provinces, if you get a job from um, Atlantic, uh, uh, the, the, the employers have, have to be designated um, and then you can also apply. And so a lot of these, you can apply even if it's a low skill job as well. Can we, can we just move back real quick to like the startup yeah. visas? Sure. Um, is there any restriction for individuals coming up knowing that uh, like US-based investors will be investing in, in, in these companies or, or is there um, is there kind of stops in place that if they're if people are coming up and, and you know running these companies that they will have Canadian investors because that was an issue in the past where a lot of these Canadian startups were funded by US companies or individuals and then got pulled back down to the US? Uh, no, the, so the requirement is that um, the founders together own um, at least 50% uh, of the company together with investors, et cetera. I but see. you can okay. have investors from, from the U.S. and you oh, know. But they own more than 50. Okay, so that's- Yeah, so the, the, the founders who are trying to get uh, permanent residence in Canada have to own most of the- Companies. I see. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and so then we also have uh, self-employed artists and athletes. If you've been able to be self-employed for two out of five years, uh, then uh, and you can show that you will be making a contro contribution to Canada, then we can apply for permanent residence under these categories as well. Um, for athletes, if you can show that you're going to uh, be able to contribute to Canada as well through your your sport as well. Uh, Hong Kong programs, you know, th that's a special one for people from Hong Kong. Caregiver program. Caregiver program, uh, I'm very disappointed with the government on the caregiver program. This was a program where um, we were supposed to bring caregivers up here with work permits and get them to permanent residence after they've been working in Canada for two years. Uh, it opened, the new program opened in 2019. Most of these applications have not yet been processed. So oh, that's really, I mean, that's really, really interesting and unfortunate because the amount, yes. especially within that and, and the need going forward is so significant. We talk to people about this all the time. So yeah. oh, that's, yeah. And was there a reason why that kind of got pushed uh, back? government or? backlog, government, oh, wow. you know, it's just everywhere, the, this government backlog, but I, I really think there's something else going on in this program. It can't be that it takes that long to process. And because of this program, you can no longer just apply for a work permit on a regular LMIA route for caregivers anymore. They stopped that as well. So basically, you know, people in Canada, they don't have anyone to take care of their children or the elderly or disabled people. Like, let's put it this way. If you were looking for someone to take care of your baby in 2019, your kid would have been in preschool by now. By the time you can get someone over, they'll probably be yeah. in school already. You yeah. know, it's, it's yeah. really, yeah. Uh, okay. And then we're, we also have provincial nominee programs and we'll be talking, I'll be talking a little bit more about what these entail as well. And so the, we have difference between federal programs So the federal government is in charge of immigration um, and, and they have their own programs, but the federal program, the federal government has also given provincial nominee programs uh, to each province to allow each province to select the people that they want to get permanent residence as well. Okay. 
And we, and we did have, uh, sorry to cut, uh, we did have one question. I'm not sure if you can sure, answer this here yeah. uh, about the, the startup visa that came mm -hmm. in a little bit earlier. So um, yeah. please compare and contrast the 350K or 250K option for the startup visa program for the permanent residency. There is no 350K op requirement oh, for okay. startup visa. There may be different uh, uh, investments uh you know requirements for people who are applying under different incubators or angel investor groups sure. where those groups are saying if you want to work with us you have to invest this amount in your company i mean it, it just depends on who you're working with and what your company requires in terms of investment. But there is oh, no okay. set amount by the federal government uh, as to how much you have to invest in the startup visa. Oh, okay, that may. Okay, well, hopefully that answers their, their question. That's great. Thank you. I just want to have one more uh, point, which is that uh, for Quebec, so all of the federal programs that I'm going to be talking about and the provincial nominee programs, um, you cannot uh, want to stay in Quebec, okay? If you live in Quebec when you're applying and you can't show that you're going to leave Quebec or you say that you want to live in Quebec, then you don't have access to express entry, to um, you know any of these programs under the federal programs. Uh, that's because Quebec is Quebec. You know what I'm talking about, though. It's one of those. I, I, I'm from Quebec, so I know. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> yeah. Originally, originally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, and everything, everything is different in Quebec. Everything is different everything there. Is different. They're very protective of who they want to come into the province, yeah. including they want people to uh, speak the language, the French language, etc. Um, and so it becomes quite difficult as well. Quebec's immigration is a lot more demanding, especially in terms of language. Um, and especially with regard to the length of time. For example, express entry, you know, if you get invited to apply, you can get permanent residence in six months. For Quebec, it's probably you're probably looking around three years or more to get permanent residence. That's interesting. Um, and I wonder if this is just anecdotal, but I, I, I seem to remember last year, lots of tech individuals moving to Montreal and getting... Um, Work able to get in the system is that is that just is that coincidental or is that so, so Montreal year? has a very robust uh, tech industry. I mean, there's a lot of Canadian companies that have gone to you know that are in Montreal. They've done a good sure. job of attracting tech companies there, but they should probably talk to the Quebec government about their immigration policies because it it's because the work permits are a federal program and workers can go to uh, Quebec and, and work there. But to get permanent residence, they still have to go through the Quebec immigration. So we see a lot of uh, tech workers who are saying to us, we don't want to stay in Quebec. Can we work remotely and go to, oh. go to Ontario? And then we can immigrate through express entry. So yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's great, thanks. Yeah, all right. Um, just wanted to quickly sort of give you a picture of some pathways for workers. Um, pathways for workers, if you're if you can get a work permit, you work in Canada, you know, that's the way to get permanent residence uh, for a lot of professionals who may not have enough points for express entry if you're just in the States. 
okay? Um, getting uh, the, the work experience will give you a lot of points for express entry or qualify you for other programs such as provincial nominee programs. The key is how do you get that work permit? And uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, other, one of the ways to get a work permit is if you studied in a public university or college, don't go to the private ones, you won't get the post-grad work permit when you graduate. Now the post-grad work permit is what I tell people is a golden ticket, just like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, okay? It is an opportunity for you to have an open work permit. You don't need to have a job offer to get a postgrad work permit. You can work for anyone you want in Canada. Um, and that is very important because most of the time when uh, you, know, you, you see these job postings, they will want to know whether or not you have the ability to work for them right away. If you have the legal ability to work for them, you say, no, I don't. I need you to have to. Um, you know, help me get a work permit, a lot of the employers will be reluctant to do so. But if you have a post-grad work permit, which is an open work permit, you can say yes, and you can start working for them right away. Um, some of the things to keep in mind for the post-grad work permit is because you only get one golden ticket in your lifetime, you have to be very careful as to the program that you're going to do. If you're doing a one-year program, you will only get a one-year post-grad work permit that may or may not be enough for you to get permanent residence, to have the work experience or the job offer. If you do a two-year program, you get a three-year work permit. If you do a one-year program and then you do another one-year program afterwards, you also get a three-year work permit, okay? So it's not that I'm saying, you know, yes or no, whether a one-year program is enough, we'll, we would have to look at your entire circumstance and, and then make a determination on that. Okay. Um, I think we had a question, uh, Phil, uh, from before. Okay. They were saying, well, you know, they're, they wanna, uh, they're, they're older, they're in their 50s. And they say, well, can I just come to Canada and go through, get permanent residence by studying Canada? And I say, that is very, there, that is very much a possibility. Um, as Americans, you can apply for the study permit at the border. You're the only country that can do that. And if you're, you know, you have your approval for, uh, for your acceptance for your, uh, for your school, and you can convince the officer that you genuinely intend to study, then you can get your study permit. Um, there are a lot of provincial nominee programs that uh, will allow, that don't look at age. And they will allow you to um, immigrate if you uh, have have a job offer. Express entry, uh, if you have enough points for it, you know, the age does matter. We'll talk about that. But at a certain point after 45, it doesn't matter anymore because you have zero for age. That's fine. You don't have to worry about getting older you know, after that, you just have to have enough points otherwise. So certainly getting a postgrad work permit, uh, being able to work in Canada uh, will help you uh, get to permanent residence. Okay, great. And we had some, and we're getting quite a few mm -hmm. questions, trying to parse through some of them. Um, this is going back a couple of slides though. Um, Re-company ownership, is it realistic to create a company ahead of time with my partner so that um, she can own 50% plus um, knowing ahead of time that she'll be moving here and applying for PR. 
So I think that probably goes more into the entrepreneur pathways that I'll talk about. Okay, perfect. Uh, is there other other questions? Um, uh, will you be going over ICT visas? So I, I will be talking about uh, some of the work permits, I think. Uh, yes, I'll be talking about work permits afterwards. Okay, yeah. okay. And, okay. And maybe... Um, can you just speak a little bit to so so you know from the from the perspective of somebody immigrating into Canada? But if you had a company that was let's say like an accounting firm that knew that they they could hire you know pick a number you know three to to, to five individuals skilled individuals um, under these programs, like how would they go about? Would they just contact a firm like yours to to get that help, or is there a different route for them? Yeah, absolutely. So you know one of the ways so one of the way there are different kinds of routes for entrepreneurs. You can do the startup visa if that works for you. Uh, the nice thing about the startup visa is it's a permanent residence application from the outset. So you're applying for permanent residence. You can also get a work permit to work in Canada while you're waiting for permanent residence. Um, the, there are other ways to do so as well. So one of the things that we can do is, for example, have someone transfer themselves to Canada. If you have a company in the States and that company is going to continue to run, and you want to open up a related company. Let's say you want to open up a subsidiary in Canada. Okay. So um, that's where we call what we call ICT, intra-company transferee category. We're going to transfer yourself to Canada. You can transfer yourself. You can transfer other senior managers or specialized knowledge workers to Canada. Okay. In these kind of cases, we want to have a very robust business plan to say what you're going to be doing in Canada, what the business is going to be doing in Canada. Oftentimes, the first work permit may only be for one year, even though you can technically get a three-year work permit because the officer may want to see, are you actually going to be running the business in Canada? Okay. Um, but you, this is not something that is passive. So if you're going to be doing this, there's no nothing where, oh, I'm going to, you know, buy it for, you know, however amount of money. I'm just going to pay money and that's it. And I buy my permanent residence. It's not a, it's not that it's not passive investment. It's active management of your company. Um, and we're, we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of permanent residence for, um, for entrepreneurs, because if you were able to show that you're going to, you are a senior manager of the company in Canada and you are working in Canada for at least one year, you will get arranged employment points, 200 points for express entry as well. So we're, um, so if you want to, uh, if you bear with me, I'm going to talk about express entry first, and then we can get into that just uh, a little bit more. So for express entry, here's how it works. Um, you have to create an online profile. You qualify under one of three categories, federal skilled worker, Canadian experience class, or federal skilled trades. Now, when you create an online profile, you're going to need to be in the pool for at least, you can be in the pool for one year. Uh, just because you're in the pool though, make no mistake, you have not applied for permanent residence yet, okay? Just because you're in the pool doesn't mean you've, you have a chance to get permanent residence yet. You're just a candidate. You get a series of points based on your background and if you have provincial nomination and then Every two weeks or so, the government has a draw where they invite they 
um, have invitations to apply. And they issue them to maybe the a few thousand, 3,000, 4,000 people each time, okay? And they look at your points. But uh, starting two years ago in 2020, they also start looking at sometimes which category you enter the pool. And next year, they may look at other criterias such as um, do you, uh, your occupation, maybe if you have a job offer, et cetera. Okay, so let's first talk about how you can enter the pool. So many of you, even if you do not have any work experience in Canada, can enter the pool through the Federal Skilled Worker class. Um, it, it takes a, this is one of the oldest classes of permanent residence in Canada. My father went through permanent residence through this class decades ago. Uh, but it, it's, it looks at your score, it looks at your background. Um, but now just because you can get into the pool, it does not mean that you can get out, okay? Second one is the Canadian Experience class. Now the work experience to qualify for this, the work experience that you have to have is one year of high skilled work experience in Canada. Uh, that is, uh, you have to be employee in Canada and it can't be when you're a full-time student, okay? The federal skilled worker uh, work experience, very, very different from the Canadian experience class. There's also the skilled trades. It's not well used at all. It's for the people in the trades. Um, and most of the people who fall under this, they will also fall under the Canadian experience class. <clears throat> so let's talk about factors which will give you points. Age is a big factor. Once you get to your 30s, uh, your points start coming down, minus five, minus six. When you get to your 40s, it's minus 10 and minus 11. 45, it doesn't go down anymore, okay? Um, but the bad news is you have zero compared to someone in their 20s who has uh, over 100 uh, points. So. Um, not a lot you can do about age. Apply earlier when you can. Um, and if you are older, then we may need to look at other ways to bolster your points. Education. We have a very competitive system right now. Um, if you do not have work experience in Canada that counts, like I talked about for the Canadian experience class, then you need to have probably at least a master's or at least two um, post-secondary degrees or, or uh, credentials. Language, um, Americans, hopefully your, your, your English language is great. Um, you do have to do the exam, uh, whether or not English is your first language or not. It looks at reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And I highly recommend that even if English is your only language, go and do some practice exams because I have seen a lot of people who English is their only, and only language um, do really badly on these exams because they don't know what to expect, okay? Uh, relevant Canadian work experience, that's the work experience I was talking about with the uh, Canadian experience class. That gives you significant points, which is why going back to the previous slides I talked about for the workers and the students, it's important to be able to work in Canada a lot of times to get your points up. 
uh, outside of Canada, foreign high-skilled work experience is important. By the way, um, I talk a lot about high-skilled versus low-skilled. Um, and that's a big differential in Canada with regard to your ability to apply for permanent residence. We just had a new occupation classification code come in uh, where um, the government has now had a lot of uh, changes for certain occupations to which were previously low-skilled to now be high-skilled. For example, truck drivers are now high-skilled. Tattoo artists are now high-skilled. So uh, there, there has been a lot of changes right now in, in this classification uh, code as well. Okay. And is, is there uh, somewhere where you can actually go in and, and look at this list and, and see? Yeah. Yes. If you uh, Google NOC, knock codes, okay, you can get a call, you can, it'll show up and you can put oh. your occupations in. And now we're using prior to uh, yesterday, we were using 2016. Now we are using 2021 system, knock oh, okay. 2021 system. Uh, spouse can add or take away depending on, on how super your spouse is. Uh, provincial nominee programs. Um, so it's not every provincial nominee program that will give you points for this. It has to be an express entry linked provincial nominee program. If, if you get a nomination under express entry linked provincial nominee program, you'll get 600 points for that. Okay. Uh, previous study in Canada, you'll get uh, some points. Arranged employment. You won't get arranged employment points with open work permits like postgrad work permits, but you will get them with an LMIA, which is um, a labor market impact assessment. Uh, employers, they would have to show they can't find a Canadian to do the job um, or other employer specific work permits. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but um, this, for example, for example, if I did a, C, uh, a C11, which is an entrepreneur work permit, you could get arranged employment. Similarly, if I did intra-company work permit, you could get, so a lot of entrepreneurs, if you can show that you're a senior manager, uh, executive manager, it has to be very, very high executive manager, you can get 200 points. Other high-skilled workers get 50 points for arranged employment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you have brothers or sisters who are a Canadian permanent resident in Canada, that's um, their fluency in French is a big factor as well. You get a lot of points if you're fluent in French and you can pass not only the, it's reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So it's not just uh, speaking. Okay. Uh, and then trade certification. This is for people in the construction trades, essentially. Okay. All right, so quickly just wanted to talk about provincial nominee programs. Um, every province has their own program. I do not have time to go through every pro province right now, but just know that um, what happens is the federal government is has given the power to the province, each province to select the people they want to get permanent residence. But then the federal pro uh, government, once they selected a person and have given them the provincial nomination, it goes then to the federal government who then um, reviews admissibility factors. And so these admissibility factors are important because for example, a lot of times they won't allow refugee 
a claimant to apply. Or if you have a criminal record, right, they, that would be an issue or medicals. Okay, but the most of the work is done by the province to select the people that they want to get permanent residence. Um, there's a big difference as well. You have to know that there's express entry based that will give you 600 points for express entry where you're basically assured to get an invitation to apply and non-express entry based, which is completely separate from express entry. Express entry based, you have to um, already have a profile in express entry. If you qualify for both, I would normally go express entry because express entry, after you get your nomination, you get 600 points, you can get permanent residence in, in under six months normally. The non-express entry are for those people who don't, who won't be able to go through the express entry programs. Uh, they're separate. Um, they will normally take around two years to get permanent residence from beginning to end. Okay. And we, we just had a question. This might actually be relevant mm -hmm. here. And you might have answered this, but um, is this ranking system specific to express entry pool or only this ranking for all applicants? Does that make sense? Uh, the ranking system that I talked about, that one is express entry. Uh, I, I see. It's, oh, it's not, okay. provincial nominee programs will have their own selection. And every there are there are many many programs for permission nominee programs, but and one of the and, yeah mm -hmm. go go ahead go ahead. Uh, so I mean, uh, one of the main things that you have to know about the provincial nominee programs is you have to show that you intend to reside in the province. So before you get permanent residence, if you move to another province, if you show that you you don't intend to reside there, you you know, then you're not going to get permanent residence, even if you get the provincial nomination and sitting with the federal government. So normally provinces can decide these things rather fast, three to six months, for example. But the federal government is the one that takes a long time, takes 19 months or so to, for them to process it. Okay. So this uh, intent to reside in the province, even if you have provincial nomination and it's sitting with the federal government, if you move to another province, then your application will likely be canceled. So you have to stay and live in the province and, or you know, in, if you're outside of the country, it's okay, but you have to show you have intent to go to the province until you get permanent residence. After you get permanent residence, you do have the right to change your intention and say, I want to live in Quebec. I want to live, you know, in another province. You do have the right to do so after you get permanent residence. That's interesting. So how did how does the competition between because I, I would imagine that you know each one of the provinces is going to try to attract as many you know individuals as they can, based especially <laughs> in this environment. So how does that competition play out between the provinces? Yeah. So the provinces they they have a dual sort of it's it's a um, competing interest. One thing is they want to attract more people to their province. And the other thing is they want to attract people who are going to stay in their province. So one of the things, so it might be, for example, the programs, for example, in Saskatchewan might be easier than the programs in Ontario. But the programs, but you have to find a job in Saskatchewan and it might be easier to find a job in Ontario. 
Okay, so each province, they, they will have, they, they constantly change their programs as well. They look at what other provinces are doing and what's being successful in other provinces. They're entrepreneur programs as well for different provinces. I say normally for those entrepreneur programs, um, if we can avoid them, we do because they take a very, very long time to process around five years or so before you can get permanent residence. Whereas if we were able to go through intercompany or C11, probably get permanent residence after a year and a half. So it, it, but there are entrepreneur programs in provinces. There are skilled worker programs. There are students. Most of these provinces will want you to have a job or significant ties to the province. There are some provinces that do not require that. They look at, for example, Ontario has one called the tech draws. So if we, Ontario says we need tech workers. If you um, are a, uh, you have a background in tech and your points at, are at a certain level, we will in, invite you to apply. We'll send you what's called expression of interest, and then you can apply with us. But you know, the most of the promises will want someone who's studied or and especially have a job offer there. All right, uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to just quickly go over work permits. Now, work permits. Um, uh, here are some of here are some of the popular ones that we work with a lot with um, Americans. Intracompany, to qualify for intracompany, you have to be transferred from a company outside of Canada. You have to have worked with that company for at least a year in a similar, substantially similar position to what you're going to be doing in Canada. The companies in Canada have to be related or it could be the same company that opens up an office in Canada. Okay, and the positions have to be either senior management or above, or if you have specialized knowledge, you can be transferred to Canada. Free trade agreement. So the former NAFTA, now called Kusma, uh, free trade with that we have with Amer with the states allows American citizens who are of certain professions who have job offers of those certain professions, for example, management consultants, engineers, um, it's, you know, certain professions, there's a whole list. If you are on that list and you have a job offer on that list, we can apply directly for a work permit for you. Post-grad work permits I talked about for international students, open spousal work permits. So if you have a work permit that allows you to work and you're working a uh, high-skilled work, uh, high-skilled job in Canada, or if you have a study permit in Canada, your spouse, your married spouse, your common-law spouse can is entitled to an open work permit. So labor market impact assessments, LMIAs, is the one that is the default, okay? So normally, in order for an employer to offer to to offer someone a job and for that person to qualify for a work permit, they have to do what's called an LMIA. They have to advertise, try to recruit Canadians, and show that they cannot find a Canadian to do the job. Uh, there's a subset of the LMIA called the Global Talent Stream that is quite exciting, especially for the tech industry. Um, 
to apply under the global talent stream, tech workers don't, the employers don't have to do the recruitment of Canadians. They have to show that they are going to provide labor market benefits to Canada, such as hiring Canadians, uh, other Canadians for their, for their company or training Canadians, et cetera. And it's a very fast um, application. It's around two weeks processing time for that. Uh, there's also, if you're, you are an innovative company in Canada and you want to attract some um, high level uh, individuals, you can also use this stream as well and bypass the recruitment, okay? Um, Francophone is a, is a nice one for people who can, uh, who are fluent in French. If you're fluent in French, then you can also get a work permit as long as you are going to be working in a high-skilled job outside of Quebec. You don't have to be speaking French in your job. Uh, you just have to have the ability to, to speak French yourself. Okay. And finally, the entrepreneur work permits. There are two kinds of entrepreneur. There's a C11, which is for everyone. And then there's one that's related to the free trade agreement. Um, it's called the entrepreneur or investor category under the free trade agreements. Very, very similar. You have to show that you are going to provide uh, benefits to Canada uh, under the C11. Under the investor, you're, you're entitled as long as you're going to be doing significant uh, contributions to the business in Canada as well. Okay, so... Uh, any questions at this point, Phil? Or? Um, yeah, we have some that might be going back a little. I'm not sure exactly sure. how many more slides we have, but um, let's. So this, this uh, my my wife um, and I got a masters uh, from University of Toronto in the '70s. Do we still get post grad permits? So that's going back a few slides, but. So you're the they if they graduated, they have to graduate from a Canadian university in order to get post-grad work. Okay, so yeah, so, so University yeah. of Toronto, but in the 70s, I guess, is there? Oh, no, you can only apply for post-grad workers within a very a limited yeah, okay. period of time. Uh, so within 90 days is normally what I'm recommending. Even though the website says 180 days, yeah. you lose your status in 90 days. So right. my limit is 90 days, yeah. Okay, so 70s is, is a no then, okay. No. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, and then is there a calculator where one can tell their possible number of points? Is, is something like that available online? Uh, yeah, you can go on to the IRCC uh, website. I have to say, though, that a lot of times I get clients coming to me where they put in their information. And because it's a computer generated thing, uh, they came out with the wrong points for them. It's really depending on how you put your information into the pool. Okay, is that it? Okay. Uh, have... There's one, sorry, the one just came in. I, not, let's see how relevant. Um, I heard medical exam is waived for temporary status applicants. Is this correct? Uh, no, it's not waived for temporary residents. If you are from a country that does not require, uh, not you, if you are, if you have been residing for more than six months in a country that does not require medicals, then you don't need a medical to come to Canada unless you wanted to work in healthcare or with children. Then you will need oh. to do a medical. Oh, okay. But yeah, great. All right. So um, just, just some quick points with regard to next steps. The first one is please have a plan as to what you need to do. Don't just go on the internet. Don't just uh, ask your friends. 
the immigration system is very, very nuanced. And every little fact that you might think is not important could be very important as to how you want to structure your life. So make sure that you are speaking with a lawyer, a Canadian immigration lawyer who knows what you need, everything about immigration and how to structure your plan. Okay. Um, after you have your plan, you have to execute. That seems simple enough, straightforward enough, but it's not easy, right? You have to get your programs. You have to be willing to do the, and sometimes it may not be worth it for you to do so, but if you do want to do it, then you really have to look at your finances, look at your, your time, uh, and look at the energy that you're going to need to put towards studying for your exams, uh, your, your even your language exams, even your English is, is there, but you have to you know, put the effort in. Um, and so, you know, that's something that you have to see whether or not you have the energy and the means to do that. Uh, make sure that you stay in status. You know, Canada is a foreign country. It's not a country where you have as a right to stay in Canada. And so if you are out of status, it could be very difficult to bring you back into status. So make sure you stay in status and don't misrepresent. There are so many fraudsters in the immigration system that will say, oh, it's so easy. I can, you just give me some money and I will make it all go away. I will make it all okay. And I will get these documents. You don't even need to know what I'm gonna submit. Please do not go down that path. As Americans, you do have some advantages with regard to the system. But if you do misrepresent and you are caught with misrepresenting, you will have a five-year ban from applying for permanent residence and from entering Canada. And even after that, you you have a huge black mark against you. Uh, so, so don't get caught in that trap. If your application is rejected, hopefully you would have worked with the lawyer from the beginning and you won't get to that stage. If your application is rejected, please contact a lawyer right away. Uh, there are very strict federal court notice periods. It's 15 days if it's inside Canada, if your decision is made inside Canada, 60 days if it's made outside of Canada. If you go beyond that period, you will not be able to apply for the federal court to for judicial review of your decision. Um, also, if you call the call center, um, you know, the call center is not someone who's on your side. The call center is on the government side. And every time you call them, these agents, they may give you information or tell you to do something that is not in your best interest. And that may not be correct. They give wrong information all the time and they're not held accountable to that. You can't say, oh, the call center agent told me to do that. It's not an excuse according to the law, okay? What you do when you, oftentimes you call the call center and say, this is unfair, this is what happened to me. They'll say, oh, okay, just write into immigration or, oh, okay, I'll put a note in the system for you. That is considered, if you do that, that is considered a reconsideration. And if you, do, you don't do it properly, then you want to go to, and it gets refused, then you want to go to a lawyer. Um, we can't necessarily uh, do another reconsideration. You only get one kick at the can for this, okay? So if it gets rejected, go to a lawyer right away. Don't try to do it, fix it yourself. There are also a lot of timelines involved as well, okay? So uh, 
you may be out of time after a while to reapply, restore your status, et cetera. Okay, uh, so that's it. That's all I have for uh, myself today. Uh, do sign up to our newsletter. If you, if you can, go on to our website, uh, www.lmlogger.com. Um, and do we have any more questions, Bill, or are we? Um, yeah, so we, we have a couple here that have come in. And what time is it here? Because we have, okay, yeah, we're getting pretty close on time. Yeah, we're, yeah. Okay, so how many can a, um, or let me get here. Uh, can a U.S. citizen get permanent residency for being an investor incubator for a founder in a startup visa? Oh, I think I guess you've, you've already covered that, I guess. We've already kind of went through that. Um, how many Canadian employees must you hire if you're opening a branch in your American company under the ICT? I'd be transferring myself um, in as my own to open it. Do you have to have a physical office uh, or can it be a home office? And that's a lot of questions. Um, yeah. You don't necessarily have to have a physical office per se, but you should have an office and sometimes even a virtual office as well. Um, yeah. With regard to um, uh, how many people you, you have to hire, uh, it's not, it depends on the business plan. It's not a set number. Um, but oftentimes when we're applying for express entry, if we're saying that somebody is the CEO of a company um, and we're saying the executive manager, but they have no one to manage, then that could be difficult to explain how they're an executive manager as well. Perfect. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like we have a lot. We had a, a big thank you. So um, that's nice to see. Um, now, the best place, so the, the best place for people to reach out um, to contact you, is it just the the email on the screen here? Is that the best place? And yeah. then the phone number there? Yeah, increase at lmlawgroup.com. I think email is easier to um, do and we'll have your information as well okay. there. Yeah. Okay. And, or, I, and I think I butchered the oh, name oh, of the the the, yeah. the firm. Or so it's uh, yeah, Mango G is Mango yeah, Long G. Mango G. L Mango Long G. Mango okay. G. Yeah, and okay. it's uh, four one. You can call us as well four one six five four eight nine one zero one. But it, uh, usually, I, I like email. I I'm a email person. I I respond to emails pretty pretty uh, fast. But uh, phones. I don't know what it, what is it about. Uh, I'm I'm like right that? there with you. I I my my <laughs> voicemail even says that you're gonna get a better response by email. email yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots lots of people um, needing to contact, which is great. Uh, so yeah, everybody, make sure this last slide here, all the contact info. Is there a way for for people to sign up to um, the newsletter like on the website if they if they visit yes, the website? Yes, go on the website. Just scroll down. And it'll be a place where you can click on the button oh, to sign up to the newsletter. I, I highly recommend the newsletter just because we don't advertise because immigration law changes so much. That's the only way we can reach out to people who come to our, our seminars, uh, because what I tell you today could very well change, you know, next week, next month, definitely by next year. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. So I think just like on the tax side, as things change. So yeah, so make sure you sign up to to their newsletter, because that's a great way to get info on those uh, on those changes. And what we'll do here, um, I'll post so this will get this will get posted on the the podcast and the YouTube channel. So it'll be available for people. Um, and once again, if anybody has, you know, we, we got through a lot of questions today and really thank Elizabeth for her time, being very generous with uh, with all oh, this info. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, yeah, and, just make. Yeah. And if you want, we can also send out these slides to everyone. 
as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what I can do is in the, um, in the show notes for, for the podcast and the video, I'll include all that and I'll include links to, um, you know, the, the, the backslide here for, um, all the contact info. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everybody and, will have all that info. Yeah. And you know what, Phil, if, if it's okay with people, I can just sign up everybody who, uh, signed into this thing. It's just who, who oh, signed sure, yeah, yeah. Guys into the too. newsletter. Yep, if you if you don't like it, just to unsubscribe. Click that exactly. button, unsubscribe, and you know. But it's maybe easier for people to do that. Yeah, as that, well. the, that that's a great idea. That's a great yeah. idea. Okay. Okay. Well, um, if nobody else has any more questions, uh, another big thank you. This is wonderful. Thank you. That's that's great to hear. Um, so yeah, this was great. Once again, thank you for um, jumping on with us and doing that, Elizabeth. That that's amazing. And maybe you know we can do this in, in the future, something a little bit more specific. This was a really great overview um, that you know most of the people on the Facebook page really were asking for. So this this is great. Um, once again, everybody, this will get posted on the Facebook page and, and the, um, the, the podcast channel. So look out for that. Um, thanks again to everybody and to Elizabeth, and, and we'll see everybody on the next one. Thanks, Phil. Take care. Everyone. Thank you. Have a good day.